0: Craig I feel pretty good, actually, right now. I think I, I had, like, a little, uh, like, gummy bear thing um, before the, not again. Not, not the gummies. Go, not, there you go again, making faces. The Hoffman Show. That's, what I, that's why I was, like, trying to describe it in a way, no, like a piece of candy. So I think I'm on a sugar high right now. On
1: the Team 980 and the Odyssey app. Waterman Sugar High.
0: Back on Radio Row in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. Craig Hoffman here for the Hoffman Show with a couple of friends. And uh, I'm very excited to, to do this, guys, as Ben Solak and Brooke Pryor, the ringer and ESPN, uh, respectively, are here. Our first annual, our inaugural, if you will, uh, NFL Combine Roundtable. So the idea here is that we're going to toss around a couple of topics. I've got mine picked out. Hopefully you guys uh, either came prepared or are going to trust your whip-smart uh, nature to come up with one it's in the next the second one, whatever uh, a couple of minutes here while I throw out mine to start, uh, and and we're gonna just toss out around the topic. We all come from slightly different perspectives, um, and so I'm excited to do this. Thanks for doing it.
1: No, of course that'd be a good time. It's it's easier than the usual combine t- table talk, which is like 15 minutes about the Colts. You gotta try to remember all the Colts players. Like this is yeah, this is good. Yeah, this especially is like a for pop you.
2: quiz. Like yeah. I really I miss that anxiety and adrenaline rush in high school and college when you show up and you're like, what are we gonna talk about? Go. Except now we're gonna do it on the radio, which yeah. is just even better.
0: Right. I mean, it is what it is. It's a low-pressure radio show over here. That's for sure. All right, so my first one um, I definitely thought of based off of what kind of what Washington is and the team that Brooke covers. For those that don't know, Brooke, uh, the Steelers reporter for ESPN, although, of course, you also see her on Get Up and other ESPN programs. But it, it's very simply, what makes a good NFL head coach? Um, because, Brooke, you cover a guy who has never had a losing season, and that's insane because I feel like all I've covered in Washington is losing seasons. And obviously, Commander's just hired Dan Quinn, who is very well regarded as a good coach. TBD is a head coach. So, Brooke, I'll start with you. What makes a good NFL head coach?
2: You know, I think it goes... Beyond the X's and O's. To me, a good head coach is not only a good motivator and a good leader in a locker room, but is also good at making personnel decisions, good hiring decisions. Like to be a head coach in the NFL now, you can't be a micromanager. You need to be able to hire people out to delegate tasks, people that you feel like align in your vision and move the team forward. And I know that you know the Steelers and the way that they construct things, the way that Mike hires yes he's you know never had a losing season that's great hasn't had a lot of postseason success recently hasn't had a win since 2016 his coaching tree is pretty bare it's i would say barely even planted there might be like one scraggly root in there um but he has not had a great track record especially hiring offensive coordinators offensive guys and i think that he is a good head coach in a lot of ways great a hall of famer but to me in the modern NFL and where we are in 2024 in order to be the type of head coach that he wants to be the the motivator the guy that does get the most out of his players you have to have that second piece in being able to round out the rest of your staff and get the most out of those guys
1: yeah i think that like i've been thinking a lot recently about the ability to control narrative and the ability to like choose what matter and what doesn't uh, I, I watched like it was a lot of the arthur smith experience when he was in atlanta some of the nick seriani experience in philadelphia this past year where like those teams had problems and then the coaches weren't able to be like hey this Problems exist. It's a Tuesday. Here's my answer on the problems. We're done talking about this on Wednesday. We're going to the football field on Sunday. We're trying to, try to win a ball game. Like the, the the everything became a bigger issue there. Everything kind of elevated there. We talk a lot about like what make like the, the CEO coaches. What makes the Pete Carroll's good and the John Harbaugh's and the Mike Tomlin's good. A lot of it is like knowing what's the forest and what's the trees. Knowing what matters and what doesn't. And having the ability to say like, all right, here's like a, a narrative people are asking about. Here's something that a player of mine tweeted. They said on their freaking podcast on Wednesday, this does not matter. So. I'm gonna get in. I'm gonna get it done, and I'm gonna get out. And, and and when we a head coach, so much more now than it was 20 years ago. All of your players are on social. All of your players are talking to people. There's so much more media access than there was. You have to be able to keep the ship on the course. And and, and one of the things that I think you see from like the young scheme lords who become head coaches, right? Like yeah. all these guys are incredible schemers, X's and O's. Is that the thing that they have to learn on the job in the first couple of years? It's what it's like to just stand at the wheel. What, what's the ship's wheel? It's just the wheel. It's it's a the wheel. The wheel. It's a yeah. wheel. It's it's a, a, I think, it's I think wheel.
0: traditionally it's a very very large
1: wheel. Stand at that big wheel, Captain Jack Sparrow, it, and just say, like, "We're going this way." And like, I'm gonna do like cool scheme stuff on Friday, but like right now, the objective is to just keep everybody moving in the same direction. It's about putting out fires, it's about de-escalating, it's about knowing what matters and what doesn't. That's like I think that. It sounds like PR and stupid. That's a really important part to like keeping your your team focused on the stuff that matters. And Kyle Shanahan's the greatest example of this because all Kyle does is get furious about little stuff, but he never lets it like actually take the team off of the path. He's just like, "I hate this right now. It's very." irritating but we're moving on to the next thing
0: yeah i almost wonder if the the scheme lords use your term like don't have time for it because they're like wait people are talking about what i've got i gotta go you know scrub the mcveigh tape from last week to see if i can steal a play and there is like that's what matters to them and that's what wins football games i also happen to you know via the washington tree in the famous 2013 photo know a couple of these guys and that's kind of how they think like sean is wired that way i don't know kyle very well but i obviously know a lot of people that do i know kevin pretty well like those guys are pretty wired to just be like this is what matters this is what what doesn't they're younger they grew up or played in some cases in the social media era and i do think that that has a huge uh, like the the energy control if you will which is why i'm actually excited about quinn for for washington is he's a guy that i think does that very well he obviously had other shortcomings in atlanta when it came to replacing kyle and they had one good season after but sark you know downhill it went right. um but I, I think that the energy control element I think Tomlin's probably Tom, great at that
2: he's he's very good at that I mean the, a great example is earlier this season with the blow-up with George Pickens which I was, was texting able,
1: Brooke about because yeah. I was trying to write a story <laughs> about it it was so confusing I was like Brooke can you explain to me just everything that's who's happened mad at who yeah. what happened yeah, yeah, right
2: yeah. exactly and it's it's a very interesting thing because you do want a coach that is a little bit of everything in that way and the job list and description gets longer and longer, especially the more that there's social media and you have players' families weighing in and players commenting on Instagram and unfollowing people and all of that. And Mike Tomlin is very good at getting his guys singularly focused. Nobody, to me, rallies a locker room the way that Mike Tomlin does. But when you talk about taking that next step, you also, okay, if that's going to be your job as the head coach, then you need to hire your scheme lords as the coordinators. And if you're going to be a scheme lord as a head coach, then you need to hire guys that are you know, the motivators as your coordinators. You have to have that balance if you yourself can't be everything to everybody. And I think that that, that's really what differentiates a good head coach in 2024. Yeah,
1: And then once your scheme lord gets hired away to be a head coach for somebody else, you have to identify the second one and the third one and the fourth one. And that's where like networks becomes a really big thing. Mm -hmm. I was at Kevin O'Connell's podium today and he was talking a lot about like the virtues of knowing guys versus just evaluating coaches on film. And you don't realize how much these dudes just rely on like, okay, I know these 19 coaches from when I played and when I was in a guppy assistant, quarterbacks, quality control guy. And then those 19 guys know 150 guys like the networks are so important because you have to constantly be trying to find the next dude who can fill that coordinator position because if you're good at it, you're inherently going to lose those guys. Right. And just the cycle continues and continues and continues.
0: I mean that's that's one another one of Kyle's superpowers. is like his ability to hire
1: good defensive coordinators mm-hmm. is insane. Well, it, it we might be reaching the water's edge of it, right? Because right. you had right, you had Sala, right. How you many had in a D'Amico. row do you get? Right, and then Steve Wilkes, and it's one year of Steve Wilkes, and Wilkes kind of wasn't one, from the incubator. He wasn't a, a clear connection through that coaching staff, and they move on from him. And now, like, you know, that job's been open for... Weeks now, right? Well, like I guess it? it's the last one, so at this
0: point, yeah, you know, I guess you right. can probably poach anybody, but also, right, how, how late do you like? You'd probably want to have a coordinator by the time you get here, right? Yes, you yeah. very much would. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so what exactly are we evaluating? Um, I don't know, I kind of thought when they fired Wilkes, they might have had someone in the bag waiting, but uh, guess not, guess not. All right, who wants to go toss something out next?
1: I can go next, all right. Uh, the thing that I've, I've been harping on this and been thinking about, and again, another presser reminded me of it, is quarterback mobility, and we mm. have to talk about quarterback, we have to stop talking about quarterback quarterback mobility as if it raises the ceiling for players and instead characterize it as raising the floor because that's I what it that actually game. does uh, John Harbaugh was up at his podium and he was asked about quarterback mobility and he did something I've never seen a coach do uh, at a podium which is he started like kind of like proselytizing he was like doing a sermon he was kind of like you know Back when we took Lamar, there were some people who got upset. Now weren't they? And we all had to go like, "Mm-hmm," and he was like, <laughs> he, was, he, was, "He was like, weren't they? And like, we, the media, we were there like, yes, no, that happened." And he was like, you know, and now I feel like, you know, people would say we did, a, we were kind of early on that curve, wouldn't they? And we were all like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, okay. Yes, yeah. John. Somebody give
2: him an amen. Uh, yeah. My goodness, yes.
1: it was—it was—I it was, it was, don't know. I don't think he knew he was about to do it, but it kind of started happening. He's like, I guess I'm leaning into the bit. Um, but That's he was funny. talking about Lamar, and, and he was asked about the change in, in, in quarterback evaluation. And you have, you know, uh, a guy here in like Jaden Daniels out of LSU, who run and be incredible. You have a Caleb Williams out of USC. You have uh, uh, Anthony Richardson who came out last year. There's so many more guys who are coming out who are dual threat. And the league always says, like, all these NFL GMs always talk about, oh, you know, it's changing the way we think about quarterbacking, and it's. Changing our framework of quarterback and the definition of quarterback is so much wider than it used to be because we can bring in these different athletes who play the game in different ways. But inherently, when we see a really high-caliber athlete, our mind just goes to ceiling. Like, okay, like he's really fast, so big plays. And then he's really big, and break tackles, so big plays. And the ceiling would be incredible. But what the what the magic of mobile quarterbacks has really been in the league, and you can look at, at the way that Lamar has performed, the way that Jalen Hurts performed, Anthony Richardson last year. A lot of these guys with the magic has been has been not their ability to create big plays, but to eliminate negative plays because they can manage the pocket because they can escape the pocket, because they can break a tackle, they, they're they able to convert pressures into not sacks. Pressures become throwaways, which are just like neutral plays, or they become completions or scrambles, which can be positive plays. Like If you look at a, a, all of the potential results of a drop back, like an attempted pass, an incompletion, a sack, a scramble, by far the highest play by expected points per added per, per play is the scramble. It is the most valuable play, technically, because it, it, you're creating positives, you're picking up first downs, but you're also eliminating the negative. Like for For immobile quarterbacks, that play is a sack. It is right. second and 17. It's going to be ending the drive. And so, yes, like high ceiling. Absolutely. I get it. But there's a reason why like your Baker Mayfields of the world are scrambling more. There's a reason why like your like Patrick Mahomes scrambles a lot. Jordan Love, like you guys who are not even like elite athletes They're just solid athletes, like they're more willing to tuck and run than ever before. It's because the scramble is a floor raiser. And so now when we look at Jaden when and we look at Caleb Williams, we want to say high ceiling. We should remember and, and, and say emphatically, this, is the, the, this trait is a floor-raising capacity for them. It allows them to get out on the field and tie rod Taylor it. It allows them to get out on the field and Jacoby Brissett it and and, and 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 do just like Gardner Minshew it. Just do the things where, okay, we can go and pick up one or two cheap free first downs by just tucking this ball on third and five. Like That's the difference with quarterback mobility.
0: So I will flip side you to, to continue this conversation. I think where we think of pocket presence and the ability to deliver there and execute from the pocket as the, the floor, that's actually the ceiling raiser. Like, I actually think the inverse is true as well is like if you can go out there and run around and create first downs and you can go out there and create big plays and explosives and eliminate the negative plays by running the thing that makes you Patrick Mahomes is he can do both he will murder you from the pocket if you let him which is part of the reason why sometimes he murders you as a scrambler because you are so concerned with what he can do as a passer that you Mm -hmm. open up rushing lanes which about December 25th ish he decides I'm going to start running in those as opposed to just throwing the ball away out of bounds but that processing speed and that's why I think like the evaluation of Caleb Williams is so damn hard. He just runs around so much. And it's like, what can you do from the pocket? Mm -hmm. And I also think it's why like J.J. McCarthy is rising up boards is because while there's not a lot of throws on film for him, there are a lot of NFL throws on film for him. And people are like, oh, that has to happen in the league. I see he can do it. That's cool. Like that's maybe he actually could be really good at this. So, I think like your your baseline point is excellent, but I also think like the flip side of how we think about this is also true, bro.
2: You know, I come at it from a perspective of that's why the Steelers drafted Kenny Pickett because they felt like his floor is higher than everybody else in that class ceiling may not be higher, but the floor, he's at least starting at that point. But watching his evolution as a quarterback has been so interesting because he pocket presence was never great for him, but you always felt like he could break the pocket and scramble. And yet, the last year, he really regressed and he could not feel pressure. He was scrambling around into sacks. I mean, he got hurt when he bailed out of the pocket and ran right into uh, a D-end. And it was just yeah. the most maddening thing to watch because you think well they drafted you because they the Steelers want mobility. They've had a statue back there for the last couple of years. Right. Obviously Ben used to have the Exquisite amount amount of mobility? He was a play yeah.
0: and like a, a negative play eliminator because exactly. he was so damn big that he could take a exactly. sack and throw the ball away at the same time. And you're right. like, wait, that actually he wasn't was a sack.
2: Exactly. And yeah. so the Steelers felt like, OK, you know what? We see the way that the NFL is moving. We want that mobile quarterback. And then it, it, to me, shows that that is absolutely a big part of the evaluation. But once you draft those guys, you need to have somebody in the building that can then develop them and take them to the next step. And when you don't have that, it shows. And mm-hmm. at that point, When your floor starts to drop, That's a major issue, and that just is so many red flags in your evaluation process and everything else.
0: It's like we confuse variance with floor and ceiling, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Kenny Pickett doesn't have a lot of variance in his play. That's actually not a good thing because he's just mediocre to bad at all times versus a guy like Sam
1: Howell, for instance, that was wildly good at times and wildly bad at times. you also need a designer who understands that quarterback mobility and quarterback scrambles need to be baked into the offense, right? This was a big thing for, like, when Shane Steichen was the O.C. of the Eagles, was there and they would talk about oh we have run pass options and we have run pass run options where like it's an rpo but also like jalen knows like hey if you see this you can just talk it like we are never in the film room on tuesday gonna be like why didn't you read it out get to the third or the check down like jalen if you got space just go dude yeah. you're a running back right and it changes how you 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 drop the distribution of routes it changes where you put your receivers right okay immobile quarterback let's get a check down here to the left let's get a check down here to the right mobile quarterback let's leak the back out but let's leave the right side open because our quarterback's right-handed he's gonna see the whole side so if he sees space there we don't need to go put a tight end there to go lumber for six yards, just talk it and go. And the quarterback can do that for us. And so now you have an extra body that you can add to the protection, you can add to the concept, right? And so, as we start thinking about scrambling quarterbacks, and we move from a framework t- 15, 20 years ago of oh, when the quarterback scrambles, it means he can't process. When the quarterback scrambles, it means the play didn't work. And now mm-hmm. we're in a framework of, we invite the quarterback to scramble, we accept it, it's a valuable play. Traditional play designs change slightly to account for that new geometry on the field.
0: I was going to say, as someone who lives in the film room doing this stuff, like, do you you see, for instance, like flat players where in for, in concepts formally you're like, oh, there should be a flat player there, mm-hmm. where they just vacate that space in the hopes that there is actual space for the quarterback to get a head start now?
1: Yeah, and it's it's never gonna be as specific as like, okay, like this flat player, and like we manipulate him this way, like unless it's like those Eagles pro sort of stuff where it's like very clearly it's like a designed triple option sort of thing. What you'll do is is you can you can first you can just send routes deeper, right? If you just right. if you're if you're the Chiefs, you just run curls at twelve instead of ten, because now the linebacker is sitting at ten instead of eight. And so now if Mahomes stocks the ball, he's getting six instead of four. Like that, that he, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Again, it changes the geometry of the field. It changes the gravity of the field. So there's that aspect of it, and then the other aspect of it, and this was the thing I I, I did a lot of reporting on before the Chiefs Super Bowl in the hope that it would happen, and then Mahomes was just incredible from the pocket and it never really happened. <laughs> um, it changes the way your scramble drill rules work when you have players like Mahomes and Josh Allen and Lamar, uh, Justin Fields and, 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 and Kyler Murray, like some A-tier, B-tier guys, who can just survive for like a year back there. Like it used to be scramble drill rules were very clear, right? If you're not on the side of the quarterback, get to the side of him. If you're deep, go shallow. If you're shallow, go deep. Like, everybody knows. Uh, now, with, like, these elite quarterbacks, it's like, hey, just run, run around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, obviously, like, follow the rules at first. But then, like, if there's space, right, and quarterbacks are yeah. thrown across their body, just go to avoid and just sit there. They'll probably find you. Like, we, we right. have changed the way the 53 and a third width of the field works because of the, the quarterback athleticism we now invite into the league.
0: I remember talking to Randall Cobb a, couple, a bunch of years ago. And uh, it was me, uh, my training partner, who was training both Randall and Renzo Alexander at the time. And, and we were talking, the four of us, about the scramble stuff. And Zoe was like, so like, what like what do you guys do? And Randall's just like, I'm not telling you that. Yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely not. Because like, their rules were yeah. not the same as everyone else's yeah. rules yeah. with Aaron. And they had very specific things. And they changed. Like, it was basically a second play that just lived for a couple weeks. And then they changed it a couple weeks later when teams figured it out.
1: Richie James told me a start at camp where they did a scramble drill. And he, like, followed the regular rules. And then Mahomes called him home, and was like, hey, why don't you go there? And Richie's like, Cause we were supposed to go. Mahomes like no no no. <laughs> no go the other way and Richard was like are you sure? And then Richard was like this is not how it's supposed to work, but right. it's how it works. Do you know? Pat's like, do you know I'm me? Right,
2: exactly. <laughs> you, they're, they're the Patrick Mahomes rules. That's, yeah. they're different. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a different set of rules. Yep. You know, I think it's so interesting too when you talk about the the putting these mobile guys in the right schemes and allowing them to run. And that's why I think. I and mean, one of the reasons that Pickett didn't take a step forward is we know Matt Canada's offense went horribly yeah. bad. It was so vanilla. It was so plain. He He did not even though the stats showed Kenny was much more successful when they were using an RPO, like God forbid they do that. And like no the line wasn't great, but it wasn't as bad as the play calling would suggest. And Kenny scrambled
1: a lot of pit. Like he He talked to run quite a bit.
2: I mean, he he changed the rules with the fake slide. Like,
1: uh,
2: he's not going to do that in the NFL. But, like, that's a guy that you want to get out on the move. And somehow you have paralyzed him. There's, like, this paralysis by analysis when he's in the pocket. And it's like he forgot his instincts. And so I think part of the reason why I think he will end up being the Steelers starting quarterback next year is because they have Arthur Smith, who... You know, I know um, as a, someone who was a fantasy manager of both Kyle Pitts and Bijan Robinson, <laughs> I fell into that trap back to back years. Right. Um, you know, could be mixed mixed results, but I do think that Arthur Smith has the skill set and the the scheme that can get the most out of a mobile quarterback like that. Just you know, maybe don't draft Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermoth and yeah, right. uh, George Pickens this year. Like may, maybe big, wait a big year. Big Darnell
1: Washington year coming up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 We'll see. Obviously, if I don't know, they're going to be acting I don't want to go too far down the Steelers path here, but. But are they going to be active and looking at a guy like Fields? You think? No. No, okay. gosh, I wish that would make that Look, would make too yeah. much sense.
2: It, it sure would. Um, yeah. I love how no. everyone's still
0: l- linking fields to Atlanta, even though Arthur Smith left, and it's like, no, no, that was the reason, or one of the reasons, why right, that made a lot of sense. Uh, that's Brooke Pryor. That's Ben Solak, ESPN, and the Ringer. Our first annual NFL Combine roundtable. All right, Brooke, you've had many minutes to think of a, a question slash topic. Uh, wrap us up here.
2: You know, I think I've got a good one because we've okay. talked, we've talked quarterbacks, we've talked head coaches. I am interested in the running back. Situation yes. where about a year after all of the Zoom calls, all of the, the holdouts, Zoom calls. Who could forget? yeah, right? Uh, the, you know, will they tag him? Should they not tag him? What am I going to do? I am interested though, specifically in not only the future valuation of the position what does it do to guys in the pipeline? What does it do to guys in high school and college now that are position fluid, that could play something else? You know, they're the fast athletic guys. So we've kind of, you know, they feel like, you know what, running back's a prestige position. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to play. Will there ever be a running back in the Hall of Fame again from from this era? And is that a position that's going to die out, go the way of the fullback? Because these guys aren't getting paid, will they end up being, because they're so expendable, does that mean fewer guys want to play it? How do you have a prolonged career? Like, the domino effect, and does that make more running backs try to be, I mean, everybody wants to be Christian McCaffrey, but does it turn into more guys being in that Christian McCaffrey mold? So that's mm-hmm. that's my
1: question. Is Derrick Henry Cowles being from this era? Because he's going to the Hall of Fame. He's, he's i I'd yeah. say like, like he's
2: he's like a he's like a fringe millennial gen whatever honestly, is above if, millennial. Right, Let's if, like, say
0: like Bijan and beyond. Yeah. so like Bijan right. and then this year's class and the guys that if, are coming. If
1: Derek ends up like the last Hall of Fame back for a long time, I'll honestly feel cool about like that. It's Derek Henry. Like yeah. that feels yeah. like appropriate. It's, it's a high. Yeah. It's I mean McCaffrey will get in, and he'll yeah. be after Henry. But yeah, yeah. so yeah. McCaffrey's like from this era, yeah, probably. But
2: even then, McCaffrey is very much like the starting point of the new type of sure. running back. Right. Like he'll go in as a running. Back, obviously, but like you could probably put an asterisk and just be like offensive. Let his
1: value is so much what he he did. Uh, No, I agree. I think that like so. Last year was like, All right, running back value, here we go. And then all those guys got tagged, slash, took one year deals that were quasi tags And now they're all back here on the market and they're all more banged up than they were Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, less productive than they were Derrick Henry, Tony Pollard. And it's kind of like, All right. going to run this back the price is going to be 80% anybody interested and teams should be like they're like if you look at 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 Houston and their dedication to running the football. They're a big established around an early downs team. They're working with Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary. That team should go get a Josh Jacobs. It makes sense for them. You look at the Baltimore Ravens and the way that Lamar changes the way a running game works. They should go get a Saquon Barkley and present that athletic issue in the backfield. The Philadelphia Eagles, who, you know, always rotating at running back, they have Kellen Moore. Tony Pollard was elite under Kellen Moore. They should go get those players. Like, that makes sense. But no one's going to want to be the first guy to, to commit and, and, and right. set the price tag and set the figure. No agent's going to want to be the first guy to let his guy sign and everybody else comes in above him. So there's a little bit of a staring contest, I am certain. That the running back, who is one of the eleven players in the offensive field, has some value, and it is better to have a good one than a bad one. I'm positive. It's just a, it's the staring match nature of it. It's a 32 NFL teams kind of all waiting to see who goes first that leads to I think some of this 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 gridlock are at right now.
0: So I tend to think these things are cyclical. Although we will not get back to where it was in the 90s, 80s mm-hmm. when like running the football 50 50 was like actually a thing. I think that uh, I'm so excited about it. I know, I kicking my mic over. Yeah, it's all right. She caught it. Look at the hands. First, Draft. first, Anything. first of the Aiding week to right. mic catch. Can't, um, can't coach that. But I tend to think they're cyclical in part because of the schematics of it. Like Teams play the pass. They, they go lighter personnel. They drop more guys in coverage. They you know have more zone calls, man calls, whatever it is based off of the offense that's in vogue in the moment. And then there's a different weakness. And eventually, a smart offensive coaches are like, hey, that's, that's good. And I know that the analytics say that passing the ball is more effective, but we'd all agree that, okay, well, if we take that to its extreme, then you should pass the ball 100% of the time. And I think we'd also agree that that's very stupid, Mm -hmm. that the analytics would then change. Because the the way scheme and analytics marry is something that is still very much being, I think, studied and and kind of parsed out and will be ever evolving in the league. And so the running back by nature plays a big part in that Mm -hmm. of like, is it just so much more beneficial to have the pass catching type? Is there a place for an extremely high level bruising, downhill back? I think that is going to, and it's starting to come back around. I mean, running rushing statistics were way up last oh, yeah. year for the first time in a long time. And so I think that, like, to to answer the core question, is there going to be a Hall of Famer that is drafted, whether it's Bijan John Robinson last year, who is kind of one of these multi-type you know type weapons, yeah. or is it someone that's drafted this year in the future? Yes, I, I think there will be. Will it look like, you know, you're not Jerome Bettis? Not going to be the same season, right. no. yeah, the same stats. No. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's what I think is so interesting is just looking at how this affects guys in the future you know like you always talk about when if you have a boy and he's born you want to make him a a lefty so he can be a left-handed pitcher (laughs) and get more money like if the running back valuation goes way down and you're athletic enough to play running back you're probably athletic enough to also be a linebacker maybe like a thick db like there are other things that you can do so does the running back position then become a smaller talent or lesser talent because these guys that are uber talented fan out and go elsewhere and then how do offenses adjust to that I'm just the my mind, my my ADHD and my anxiety mind are just going <laughs> wild at all of the possibilities and trying to you know fortune tell in the future, yeah. which obviously we can't do. But I just think it's such a fascinating thing. Yes, it is cyclical, and there is a staring contest. Eventually, someone will have to blink. But how does what what does that mean? The game will evolve to
0: well to talk about the market forces too. <clears throat> Ultimately, smart teams will exploit inefficiencies, yeah. and I think that's the like the the agent side of it is like what. I don't want my guy to be the inefficiency like i'm trying to i'm trying to make it right. so that my guy's the surplus I, he's yeah. got to get his check and everyone else can screw off so that that is an interesting part of it like who blinks first but i think in a way like that's what now i feel like we're just praising kyle somehow in every question but like <laughs> what kyle and john did with mccaffrey was like no we'll spend resources on a running look back at, and look, it's gonna yeah. make us a super bowl contender. look
1: at all mm-hmm. the teams that have elite quarterbacks right now and with uh buffalo they went and got aaron cromer from the rams the as line coach first round pick on osiris Torrin, second round pick on james cook you look at what yeah the chiefs did they spent the money on Creed Humphrey, they went and spent the or drafted Creed Humphrey. They spent the money on Joe Tooney. You look at what the, what the top teams when they talk about their elite quarterbacks and what they have. Always the first thing the coaches say is like, well we gotta be able to freaking run the football. Because if you can't do it, then your elite quarterback gets neutered by a team that's playing seven, eight guys in zone coverage, sitting ten yards back and everything and saying, ha you have to check the ball down, right? You gotta be able to run the football.
2: But to that point, the guys that they have running the football, there's a lot of value in those late round guys that then have cheap contracts that's the problem, and then right? you use them up and then you find somebody new. Yeah. I mean the Steelers are a great example of that with they draft Najee Harris in the first round, but then they also find that UDFA guy and Jalen Warren who is crushing it, and suddenly, like, I'd say odds are pretty good that Najee Harris gets tagged, but, like, in free agency, I I don't see the Steelers spending money to bring him back, and they'll be able to get Jalen Warren at a discount, and then they'll find another UDFA and bring him in, and it just, like, that's the part of it that, yes, you need to have a good run game, but right now, you're able to get a running back for so cheap, they're so expendable and so just, like, replaceable. It's that part of it is what's interesting We can't conflate
1: running backs value with running game value. Running game value? Yes. Very valuable. Running back value? Well, they have a lot less control over the quality of a running game than we once believed. And a lot more of that map belongs to the that's offensive line point. and the system you run. And so that's why, right, you want to invest in the running game. And a way to do that is to go get Josh Jacobs and give him money. You know, just get to give him money. But a better way to do that is go find you a good guard and then go find you another one, right? And right. so running game value, running back value, two connected but separate conversations.
0: So I think that goes back to kind of like if you're a high school kid right now, the problem is there's a surplus of good running back. It's just it's too easy to find a guy who's yeah. decent. And I do still think like elite players can separate. And part of that eliteness might be the versatility. It might be yeah. because you could actually be a Hall of Fame level wide receiver, Christian McCaffrey, um, or you are that much better at running people over Derek Henry. But I still kind of think that
1: that middle class of running back is is going to be kind of what it is now and for a while. You're starting to see this already because there's there's two separate body types at back. There's your your Thunder body type and your Lightning body type and your Thunder body type is still like playing back, 5'10", 5'11", 215, 220, big fellow, might go be a linebacker, whatever. The smaller guys, right? Your, your 5'11s, 190s, these are becoming your wide receivers. These are becoming mm-hmm. your slot guys, and that's a result in college, where college used to not be able to throw the football, because there weren't enough good quarterbacks, enough good offensive guys. You had to run it. You had the triple option was everywhere, right? <laughs> so these these 5'11", a buck 90 speed guys, they were running backs, because that was where the touches were. But well, we've gotten so much better at throwing the ball at the college level, those guys now become slot receivers, and that's why, and you see in a league, that trickles up, and you get your right. Wondell Robinson your Calvin Austins and your Tank Dells and all these cats in the league, that previously those guys would have strapped an extra 10 to 15 pounds on and been running backs, been gadget players. Now they play slot receiver. And so you've already seen one half of the running back build start to trickle to wide receiver. Now it's that second half, that bigger half, that, yeah, it's going to start looking into being all right more linebacker on the defensive side of the ball.
0: It's Ben Solak from The Ringer. You can read him there. You can also listen to their Litany of Fine Football podcast, which he is featured on and Brooke Pryor, ESPN, ESPN.com, covering the Steelers and the entire NFL. This was fun. We'll do it again next year. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it.
2: Happy to be the inaugural class. Woo!
0: It's the Show. We are wrapping up here on the Team 980, always live on the Free Odyssey app and streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. Uh, What a show it has been today, and we have yet another jam-packed one tomorrow. I'll tell you about that in a second. It is kind of funny. um, I said this in Las Vegas as well, although this is way worse here in Indianapolis as we're live on Radio Row at the NFL Scouting Combine. Um, In Vegas, when we were there for the Super Bowl, watching the shows empty out, Like there were still a lot of the West Coast shows and still plenty of, of stuff happening. Uh, And the room was so much bigger here. um, There's one show over there from Las Vegas that is still on the radio. The Ringer is taping a podcast. Um, There looks to be like two other shows on the air right now. And other than that, I am definitively the loudest person in this room right now. Um, that is, that is the nature of afternoon drive, uh, and, and, the show that goes till seven o'clock, or in tonight's case, uh, 645, because we do have Wizards basketball coming up, uh, on the team 980. Uh, Dave Johnson, Glenn Consor on the call of Wizards and Warriors pregame starting in about seven minutes from right now. So if you missed it on today's show, you are definitely going to want to check out the Hoffman Show podcast feed. Uh, Chris Perez, by the way, round of applause for him back in our DC studios producing the show today. Uh, Anthony, will be back tomorrow. Uh, He and I will see each other in person again eventually. But uh, Ant back in the saddle tomorrow. But uh, Barash doing a great job. Back in studio today and amongst other things that he has done uh, professionally well is get the podcast up, which is essential on a day like today, because if you missed any part of the show, you are going to want to go back and listen. Our guest list uh, was insane. I'm going to try to remember it off the top of my head. Uh, first, it was Sam Fortier who popped by I uh, got the show started off with a bit of a bang. Uh, really great discussion with him. ESPN's Jordan Reed then came by. Uh, I swindled Nick Baumgartner from the athletic into two segments. He was fantastic. One of their draft analysts, uh, Matt Miller sat down who's very well dressed uh, that if you'd like to see the dress uh, the, the suit uh, you, you can watch the segment back on YouTube when that gets posted uh, here in a little bit or you can rewind on, on the live stream on YouTube to 530 uh, about an hour and a half into the show Matt Miller was on set with us uh, Mitch Tischler then sat down and then you just heard the round table with uh, Ben Solak and Brooke Pryor from ESPN so really great stuff and then I guess we'll try to beat it tomorrow So here's what we got tomorrow. Let me pull up the old calendar here on the phone because I – cannot remember all of this stuff off the top of my head uh because we have too many good guests uh we have to start off the show tomorrow live at 4 5 p.m so i'll kill a few minutes off, off my own off the top and then we will have ian Rappaport of the nfl network with us on the show very excited to have ian on uh sir what are you hearing about the commanders will obviously be the first question uh as, as he's got as much information As anybody, uh, then his colleagues at NFL network, uh, Lance Zerline, uh, who writes all of the draft profiles on NFL.com, uh, and has been doing that for a long time. Great scout. Uh, he will join us, uh, Charles Davis, uh, from NFL network and of course CBS will join us. I gotta text Ian, uh, who's Charles is Ian Eagles broadcast partner on, uh, on CBS. I gotta text Ian and be like, Ian. Any good jokes we can throw at Charles? Anything that I can say that will that will make him turn his head in a funny way and be like, "Wait a second, did you talk to the bird?" He's like, "Yeah, I did talk to the bird. What are you gonna do about it?" Um, Charles is on the show tomorrow, um, and then I think we got some other stuff that I can't remember. Uh, typically like Andrew Siciliano winds up crashing the show here, Mike Jones winds up crashing the show. Uh, we've left open some show crashing time, uh, so very much looking forward to that. And then, if that wasn't enough, we've actually already got a couple things slated for Thursday that we're going to tape, uh, although we uh, will not be actually airing them until Friday. Uh, dock in for me on Thursdays. I'll be traveling back here from Indianapolis. So, that is the show. Um, also, may I make a recommendation for you, as much as I would love for you to exclusively listen to this- this radio show in the afternoons i will give a shout to my guys grand danny over on the fan uh within the odyssey family you can go into the odyssey app and rewind until 320 they had adam peters on the show today um dan quinn's press conference also you can hear Uh, i think they carried that live we had nick on um so great options all around on demand live we got everything from the scouting combine covered here in indianapolis uh coming up next wizards and warriors uh quick thought on that real quick um, the Warriors quickly have, like, remade themselves into looking like a title contender. Like, a uh, uh, oh, crap, are they actually good again? Klay uh, Thompson's gone to the bench for them, and it has really worked. Uh, Pajemski's in the starting lineup, uh, their rookie who's, who's played phenomenal all year. Draymond has come back off the suspension and took them a couple of games, but they've, like, really found a rhythm. Steve Kerr seems to have found a rotation. Some of the issues they were having playing guys like Wiggins and um, – and uh, Kaminga together earlier in the year have disappeared. And all of that uh, fine balance is on the line tonight. Uh, maybe not the stakes aren't as high against the Wizards, but Chris Paul returns uh, to, to for the first time in months. So uh, we'll see if the Warriors can keep their role going. Wizards-Warriors next here on the Team 980. See you tomorrow from Indy.